This Front Row Rugby episode appeared originally on YouTube. Today you are going to get a front row seat to the incredible Springbok career of 1995 World Cup winner and 1998 Tri-Nations champion Krano Otto. Krano, welcome to Front Row Rugby. Thank you, Peter. Um, I'm a great um, supporter of your channel and love your videos. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. I appreciate that. I really do. Um, Krano, before we begin our conversation, let's take a look at today's trivia question. In 2001, the Springboks played the world champion Wallabies twice. How many of those matches did Australia win? Now, if you know the answer to the question, you can put it in the comment section down below. And we'll also find out if Krano knows the answer, but we'll do that at the end of our conversation. Krano, I'd like to begin in 1995. Talk to me about how you were feeling when you found out that you had been selected to take part in the 1995 Rugby World Cup. Yes, I think um, it's always a, an honour and privilege to be chosen for the Springboks. Um, I was fortunate to tour to New Zealand with the Springboks in 1994. There were so many good locks in the country at that time, Rudy Fasahi and all the, the senior locks that were playing for the Springboks while I was still at school. So it was, um, I, I never thought I would get a chance. And then um, I think in 1995, Kitsch just picked... Um, a very strong side that can win the World Cup. And he picked a couple of youngsters that wouldn't upset the apple cart um, and maybe distort the synergy in the team. So I think I was fortunate to be part of that team. Um, and yeah, I enjoyed it very much. I think looking back at that 1995 World Cup and the whole country were behind us and um, it was just unbelievable. We really felt like we were on cloud nine all the time. Talk to me about the training sessions. I've heard leading up to the tournament that it was torture. What do you say? Yeah, I didn't go to um, military service, but um, I, I always say that was my, my couple of weeks or months of basic training. No, it was tough. Um, Kitsch Christie always believed that, um, you know, lots of teams can be equally good, but the fittest team will always win. So... We suffered a lot at that Wanderers Rugby Club. We ran around the golf course a couple of times and they always finished with a power half hour um, where the forwards would take dumbbells and then just suffer for 30 minutes. Okay, you mentioned earlier, Krano, that Kitsch selected a couple of young guns who were not going to upset the apple cart. You were one of those. And that meant that you didn't get to play against Australia in the opening game, but you did make your debut against Romania. Talk to me about that occasion. Yeah, I think um, I played a couple of games for the Bulls at flank. So I was on the bench against Australia and I was praying for an opportunity to go on the field. Um, so that didn't happen. But yeah, then I got chosen for the match against Romania, which didn't turn out to be a fantastic match. I actually looked at the team list later on and I saw it was actually a, a very good Springbok team that um, went on the field that day. But for some reason, I think that um, high after the Australia win was just too much for us to, <laughs> to focus properly. I think we only beat them by 10 or 15 points. I can't remember. It wasn't as, as huge a margin as Kitsch was hoping for. So... Um, but yeah, still an honour. That was my first test match um, for the Springboks. So um, first cap. So it was a huge honour. And um, if I could turn back the clock, I would play much harder and much better and maybe motivate the guys around me to 
to put in a better performance that day. I'm sure, but it's all about getting the win, which of course we did. And then we moved on to play Canada at what became known as the Battle of But Erasmus. What was going through your mind when that fight broke out? Yeah, I think um, Kitsch realized after that narrow win against Romania that if Australia, if we maybe um, lose to a team like Canada and Australia put up a bigger, bigger score against Romania, then we could suddenly fall back to second place in our pool. So there was a, a lot of hype those couple of days before that game. Um, and I think we were also going onto the field with a, a fighting spirit. And um, so, yeah, so the Canadians are tough. Um, I've said of all the teams I've played against, they are pretty tough. I think, don't know if it's off the, from the ice hockey or what, but they like to get physical. Um, and, Asbura just didn't stand for that. So um, there were a couple of incidents where guys just got out of hand a bit. Um, but yeah, it was a brutal match that fortunately we won and um, things fall back in place after that game. And as you say, ice hockey, not really a thing that we do in South Africa. Krenner, we went on to beat Western Samoa in the quarters and then France in the semifinals playing New Zealand in the final, which of course we won. But how disappointed were you not to be involved in that final? Um, yeah, always. I think um, the team was on such a high, the country was behind us. And um, you know, obviously you were hoping to be chosen. But I think, you know, earlier on in the tournament, you could realize. And, you know, looking back, the, the Lions team was the, the bulk of that World Cup final. I think there were two or three non-Lions in the in, in, in the in the final. Um, so that was the, the core of the Lions team, and they did pretty well the previous year. And there was a good team spirit, so that worked out well. So looking back, I would have liked to play, but maybe that would have meant a different result. So I'm pretty happy with it, the way it turned out. I think that was a huge event in our history, and. Just like 9-11, I always say that everyone knew where they were on that day. The same with the 95 World Cup final. Um, everyone can still remember exactly where they were that day. And what did it feel like when we became world champions? What did you feel? Yeah, Kitsch, um, throughout the World Cup, he said, listen, it's maybe one of the easiest sports where you can become a world champion. Um, and it just made us realize how important that is and what a huge honor it would be all achievement to be a world champion. So he instilled of us that um, that spirit of winning. Um, I think we were, there was a lot of things in our favor. Um, being the World Cup being held in South Africa and the support we had, it was, that probably counted for three or four points in that final. So um, no, it was, um, I think the puzzle pieces just fell in place that day and um, yeah, that was history. I think, personally for myself, I think being part of that gave me a, a good platform or foundation for playing for the Springboks going forward. And um, I think as, as people, also, also, we all grew a lot in that World Cup. How would you describe Kitch Christie as a coach? Um, yeah, I think he was, he was tough. It was tough. He knew what he wanted and he wasn't afraid to get experts in every position to, um, to assist. So I think a lot of coaches these days are afraid of uh, experts that can maybe um, 
overturn them or be a better coach than them and get all the credit. But Kitch didn't worry about those things. He just got the, the best fitness guys and the best line-out coaches. And so he surrounded himself with good people. And um, and I think he, had a, he was a, a good motivator as well. So I think that old Birman van Sale, Donnie Craven, that style of coaches that just created a platform for you to train yourself and uh, learn from your experiences. I, I don't think he was as meticulous as Nick Mallet or maybe the modern coaches um, paying attention to every small detail. He just created a space where you can do your thing and learn from that. And then you didn't play a test match again for the Springboks until 1997. What actually happened? Yeah, after the World Cup, when I came back to the Bulls, um, they had two good locks in one, Ackerman and um, Drikas Hatang. So we fought a lot for places. And not being a regular at your union obviously counts against you. Markgraf was also the coach at that time. So I went on tour in 96 um, with the Springboks to Argentina. Um, I didn't play in the home test that year. But yeah, the next year when Carlo Duplessis was um, appointed, I was chosen again. Um, I was actually chosen for the first test against Samoa and then tore a hamstring and then couldn't play in that first game. But um, no, I was privileged after that to play a couple more. And talk to me about Carlo Duplessis as a coach. Yeah, a great human being and a fantastic coach. I think at the time he was just didn't have enough time to 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 set the the style of play that he wanted to play. I think there's a lot of guys that maybe put the pressure on him, even some of the players that uh, he didn't get the results quickly enough. Um, I think he would have been a better coach. He didn't have much experience at that time, but he could have developed into a, a proper coach. He was he had good personal relations or with people skills, and um, yeah, I think he's a He's an honourable guy with a good rugby history himself. So I think he could have been a better coach. He was just thrown at the deep end at the time, um, which was a bit tough. Um, but yeah, so he had good ideas. I think he would have liked to change the style of rugby a bit, but time was just not enough for him. And as you say, didn't quite get the results in 1997. But then Nick Mallett came in and there was this transformation that took place. Suddenly the Springboks had become this unstoppable machine on that end of year tour with some massive results, especially against France and Scotland, uh, just to name a few, actually. Tell me how enjoyable was that 1997 end of year tour? I think my career under Nick Mallett was probably my, my best time in the Springbok jersey, Nick always created uh, an environment where you can be yourself and do your best. I remember when he took over from Carl, he um, he came to Pretoria and he set up a meeting with us and Andre Sneeman and myself and he promised us that we would play the majority of the games as long as we do our, our bit and play our best um, rugby. Um, he actually said that um, the only way you can lose your your space in the team is if you lose it yourself. So, so he instilled that trust and faith in all of us. A lot of us, I assume, we went to every province and picked his starting fifteen team, um, told everyone the same story. Um, so I just felt safe at that time, and 
a lot of confidence and um yeah so under him when you won you could do what you want off the field um if it was tough he would just lose his mind and take it out on you but no i think it was um great effort great rewards at that time um we all enjoyed it a lot we and if you win it's always fun so we were good players and i think everyone understood his idea he was very um as i said earlier meticulous he knew a lot about every position on the field um sometimes you get a, a forward coach that doesn't understand backline play but he's quite intelligent and he argued defensive structures with James Small and you know the the, the backline players and like he could always prove his point um so i enjoyed him a lot Krono, you mentioned there that it's a lot of fun when you're winning, and I'm sure it was a lot of fun when we were beating Wales 96-13 at Loftus in 1998. You also scored your only try for the Springboks in that test match. Describe what it feels like scoring a try for your country. I could have scored a lot more if I wanted, but Frakti Prio is my year. I only scored one try. So <laughs> I thought I will also just score one try. No, I would have liked to score more. Um, I think looking back at the times we played, we were um, the, for the forwards had to be under the blanket and the tight five had to be with the ball. And it was not as common as now to to get the ball in the back line and run a bit with the ball. So um, I saw the other day, I think it was on your show, Mark Andrews scored like 15 tries for the Springboks. So I was pretty jealous about that. <laughs> Um, but no, I, I probably did a more, a lot of tackles or line out catches, something that's maybe more important for the team as scoring tries. So, I, um, if I would have liked if that try was a, a long distance try, but that at least I had that one. Absolutely. A try is a try. And we went on and won the Tri Nations that year as well, uh, Krainer. How special was that? Yeah, I think if you look at that, those wins in a row um, and the Tri-Nations, the game in Durban against um, the All Blacks, I think we were trailing 25 or 23-10 or something like that. That was right in the middle of that stretch of, of tests. Um, and I think that was a comeback test. And I think that set the tone for that Tri-Nations that year. I think even that... 13-3 game in Wellington where Peter Rousseau scored that try. Um, that was a classic test match for me. It was played early morning in South Africa in, in sunlight in New Zealand. So that was that's probably my favourite test of all. Um, but yeah, so that that Tri Nations was special. Winning all all four games as well was also an achievement that the Springboks didn't often achieved. Yeah, I was still a high school boy at the time, Crano, and as you say, we were waking up at about four in the morning to watch the Springboks beat the All Blacks. Very, very special uh, when that happens. Uh, but of course, when it goes the other way, it's not so much fun being awake at that time of the morning. Anyway, um, Krainer, as, as we move on uh, to the end of year tour in 1998, the Springboks were still winning, but the performances were not as clinical. Now, I've heard 
quite a lot of different theories about that. Some people say that it was end-of-year fatigue. Some people say that there was interference with regards to Alan Solomons and Bobby Skinstad. Some people say that actually we should give credit to the other teams because they actually played well. What do you say? No, I don't think they played that well. I think, um, as I said in '97, or when Nick took over, uh, initially gave us all that trust and faith. And I think, as you said, and I think Peter has told the story as well with um, Bobby Skinstad and Cornet Krieger in that time where a lot of good players um, came um, forward and it was almost like um, we needed to make space for them. And I think I remember one day in, in Edinburgh, still, I think it was a week before Scotland, um, in our team session, Nick had a proper go at, at all of us after the Wales test. I think it was we lost against Wales and it just couldn't justify any one of us staying in the team. And it almost like threatened us with all the other guys that can step up and take over. And it's not a big thing if we don't perform. They can take over any day. And I think I remember that night we still said, listen, we're going to drown our sorrows. So there was a, a small bar around the corner um, from the hotel and a couple of us, uh, us went there and then as we walked in, there were a couple of other guys. Most of the team were in the pub already. So we had a late night um, session that night. I think us as players got together a bit and um, said, listen, we'll just stick together. It doesn't matter what they think of us. Um, but there were definitely before that, you know, there was a, a close relationship between the players and the coaching staff. But I think during those couple of games, um, the trust was broken a bit and um, we all just played survival rugby then. And then if we move on to 1999, Krono, at the World Cup, I remember a radio interview with U.S. van der Westeds, who was the captain of the Springboks at that stage after Gary Teichman had been dropped. And Eust said that the boys didn't actually feel as if they were at a World Cup while they were in Scotland. Would you go along with that? Yes, I think if you look back at 95 and the Raul Mornay to Placide played in the, in the team and, you know, we were just protected and we were... Um, we were a special team at that time. I think in 1999, um, Rob van der Falk, who was our manager, he had other obligations and he couldn't go with. And Ampi Leroux was a baggage master. He got the duties of team manager and Arthur Peterson, I think, was there. So it was, it was completely different than what I think a World Cup team needs to be. Uh, I think we were just put on a plane um, and I, I if I look back at that semi-final we lost against Australia, we could have won that so easily and it would have been, I think we could have won that World Cup as well if um, if we just tended to some of the off-field things better and if Gary was probably still the captain, um, I think that trust, I th we were good players at that time. I think we were probably one of the best teams in the world then still. Um, we just didn't get the results and I think there's a few factors that, a tribute to that. So um, we could have been the first team to win back-to-back -back World Cups. We're going to talk about that Australia semi-final in a moment, but I want to talk about England in the quarterfinals first. That match has now become known as the Yanni de Beer Show. How memorable was it to be part of that? 
that and we were never going to lose that match. Um, we had a few um, players in the team that played in England. I think Fritz van Jerden was one of them, and um, we knew exactly what the the England team is going to do. So I think through our Jake White's analysis and the players' comments, we knew Lawrence Delalio would always receive a, a kickoff. Um, and then it will be one pass and then Johnny Wilkinson will kick out. So we knew exactly what the game plan was. So, and we split the kickoffs and we kicked to the side where Lawrence wasn't. And I think the, the homework that went into that game um, was done so well that I, I honestly believe we, apart from Young's drop kicks, we would never have lost that game. It was special that he, he kicked those five. It is, um, it is fantastic, and I every time I see that video where U.S. jumps in his arms or the other way around, it is it's a classic photo, and that was a classic match. So glad we beat him in. It's always lovely to see replays of that. Uh, Krano, we then went to play Australia in the semi-finals at Twickenham, as you and I were talking about a moment ago. How deflating was it to lose that match in extra time? Sure. No, I think um, we played. Australia was a good team that year as well um, we played very well and we could have played better um, we had such good players I think Ruben Kruger was on the bench you know if you've got that quality players sitting on the bench it, it was a, a good team um, that drop kick was never meant to go over um, and yeah so that is a that is a huge pity as I said I think that the whole week leading up to that we were just so loose. I think, I don't know what was the, the coherency in the team wasn't what it was during those 17 tests in a row. So we, I think we lost a bit of focus there. And I, I don't know what was the reason for that, but um, it did happen. And I think in retrospect, if us players and the coach could have just got together a bit more and um, get the focus, we could have beaten them easily. Would have been wonderful, but unfortunately it was not to be. Into 2000, Craner, you were involved in the first few test matches of the season at the beginning, uh, but then that was also the end of your Springbok career. How disappointing was that, or did you look back and say, I'm just grateful to have been able to go on that one incredible ride? Yes, I think um, at that time, you know, the pressure is always on. Uh, Mark Andrews got dropped after the 99 World Cup and Albert van der Berg came in, and I think Johannes Lovaskagne was in the team. So, you know, it all <laughs> it, it triggers emotions in yourself. So and you think you have to perform and do better. Um, so at that time, we were just racing to get to as many tests as possible before you get dropped for someone else. Um, so, no, it was... Still a, still a privilege to be to survive the 99 World Cup loss and still be in the team. They were definitely, I think it was um, a fresh beginning. Uh, I think Nick thought after the World Cup, maybe look at 2003 and, and get some young blood in and start um, building a new team. So um, just to be part of that at that time was, um, I was pretty thankful for that getting the opportunity again to play. So, but yeah, behind uh, behind the scenes, I think Mark Andrews was on 50 tests by that time and U.S. was on 50 tests. 
um, Peter Rousseau, Andre Fenter, and myself, we were all chasing chasing fifty, and um, thought always wondered who would be the next guy to get there, the first guy to get to fifty. So um, yeah, I think I played against England England twice in South Africa, and then against Australia in in Australia, and I think that was my last test. Well, I know that was my last test. Indeed, that was the case. Kano, who was your toughest opponent? Sure, there were many. Um, a lot of guys asked me that. I think um, internationally, somebody like Martin Johnson, uh, the English is, is a bit uh, more physical than maybe the, the Southern Hemisphere teams where they play rugby and don't bully as much. Martin Johnson was pretty tough, um, but I think local guys like Johan Ackerman and Audrey Geldenhuis, um, they were probably the toughest I played against. Now, Krona, I've heard from a couple of guys that have been on this show in the past that you were quite a funny guy in the team. Is there a particularly funny moment that you can share with us from your time with the Springboks? No, not really. I think I could laugh at the other guys' pranks, but... Um, no, there were. It was always fun in the team. That the Sharks boys had a more relaxed approach to to rugby um, under Kitsch, ach, under Jan McIntosh. But no, I um I, I missed out on most of the fun. Talking about the '99 World Cup, I it's not a funny story, but just something that I can probably add is um, when we lost against Australia in that semi final. Nick Mallet said to us after the game, listen, I've coached um, in France for the last 10 years or whatever. I knew exactly, I know exactly how to beat the French. So we're not even going to train this week for the for the third place playoff on the Friday night. Um, we just get together on Thursday night, uh, Thursday afternoon for the captain's practice and then we play France on Friday and then we will beat them and then we'll get the bronze medal in the um, 99 World Cup. So he said, so if you want to go and have a holiday for the next couple of days, you can just do whatever you want. I'll see you five o'clock on Thursday afternoon at the practice field. So some of the guys, I remember Franco flew to Italy, um, yet still had roots there. And some of the guys flew to Amsterdam. And so everyone just chatted, but chatted um, into Europe. Um, having a holiday and then I remember the next day, the Sunday, I was walking the street and one of the guys said to me, um, so what do you think about France beating the All Blacks? And I said, what do you mean France beating the All Blacks? He said, yeah, did you not watch the match now? France just beat the All Blacks um, for the final spot. So then we all realized that we're playing the All Blacks now for for the third place playoff and not France anymore. So I found the manager, I said, listen, I um, assume it's a different match now. Um, should we come back and start training for this game? And he said, listen, everyone is everywhere in Europe, so it's impossible to get everyone back. So just enjoy the couple of days and let's see what happens. And then as it is, we pitched up on, at captain's practice. We had a, a good run and then beat the All Blacks comfortably for that bronze medal in the in the third place playoff. That's a great story and I'm so glad that we did win that third place playoff against the All Blacks. Always good to beat the New Zealanders. Krono, is there a player currently who you particularly admire? 
Yes, I think um, being a lock, um, there's been so many good locks a couple of years, last couple of years playing for the Springboks. I am, you know, between Luet and Jeben and Erges Neyman and Franco Mostert and there's been Bakis and Victor. So I always like the locks. It is the, the aerial combat guys. <laughs> so, no, I, I think our team, we've got such tough players, even on our Lucy, Dwayne Vermeulen. And um, I just like if I see all our strong Bure players on the field and how they can manhandle the opposition. That um, I, I really enjoy that, that physical side of, of our, our team now. It's a thing of beauty, if you ask me. Uh, Grena, what are you up to these days? I work for the Reclamation Group. We're a waste management and recycling company based in Johannesburg and got a few yards all across the country. So I enjoy that very much. Um, never thought there's such a good industry in recycling. Um, but yeah, so that was a, a life after rugby for me, and I enjoy that as much as rugby, I think. Um, but yeah, no, um, to all the young players out there, you have to have a job after rugby. It's not going to last forever. So um, start working on that early. Sounds good. Let's finish off with the trivia question. In 2001, the Springboks played the world champion Wallabies twice. How many of those matches did Australia win? Do you know the answer, Crano? I know we lost to them in the World Cup, so I would probably assume we lost to them in the Tri-Nations as well. So I think we didn't beat them once that year. All right, this is quite incredible, Craner. We beat them at Loftus 2015, and then we went over there and we drew against them in Perth. So they were the world champions, but they couldn't beat us that year, and that's quite a nice one for us. A little bit of a pat on the shoulder for the Springboks. Oh, fantastic. What is it, 2001? 2001. Oh, sorry. I was thinking of 2003 when the World Cup was on. Yeah, sorry. Ah, <laughs> no, it's all good. I had many concussions that 20 years ago for me. <laughs> uh, no, it's all good. It's all good. Krenna, let me say, it was lovely having you on Front Row Rugby today. An absolute pleasure. And I hope that we can have you on again in the future. Thank you, Peter. It's a great show and keep up the good work. I really enjoy it. Last time on Front Row Rugby, 1998 Tri-Nations champion Huffy Dutoy was my guest. You can go and watch that video. It's appearing on your screen right now. I won't have a Springbok guest next week. Instead, I'll begin my Rugby World Cup coverage. And New Zealand's 1987 World Cup winning captain David Kirk will be here. This Front Row Rugby episode appeared originally on YouTube. If you enjoyed this content, please consider subscribing and sharing with your friends. See you next time.